information on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a qualified licensed professional counselor or a qualified licensed medical provider. Hello and welcome back to another session of the Evolving Chair Podcast with your host, Lakeisha. Today's session, I have a very special guest. Some of you may have heard him on The Breakfast Club at his interview about mental health within the black community and within the hip hop culture. I have the Rashawn Miller. Do you want to say hi to the TC listeners? <laughs> What's up, everybody? How everybody doing? <laughs> Thank no, you. No, it's thank you. it's funny because you said the Rashawn Miller. I was like, that's, that's, I've never been introduced like that, so it's, it's funny. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, you were nominated as one of the fifteen black male therapists you should know. So I'm just thinking that is such a great honor. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it caught me by surprise as well. So I yeah. mean, it's, it's definitely dope to be recognized for the work that you do. Definitely, definitely. And just a little bit about you. You're a speaker and you're an author. And we'll talk about the book later on in a little bit. And a mental health advocate. Right, right. And you have your master's in clinical mental health counseling. And you are the founder and executive director of Eustress Inc. That's right. Yes. So before we dive into a little more about you and what you do, let's do an icebreaker. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, what's your hidden talent that no one or a few people may know about you? Um, that I draw. Oh, yay! Okay. Yeah, I, I've been drawing ever since I was uh, maybe about like three or four years old. And actually, growing up, I wanted to be um, I wanted to design sneakers. So, um, yeah, that's really what. Uh, harness my passion into drawing but then it it ended up turning into something else later on in life but yeah I draw nice I love that I draw a little bit too but I think a lot of people may know that about me I went to (laughs) um (laughs) arts high school but my major was vocal so I was a vocal major but I gotcha gotcha side oh cool so you draw so you have to send me some pictures so I can put a post I, I, I keep not I keep them to myself. That's why a lot of people don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> and you know, some stuff you can't expose everything to everybody. So. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I definitely understand that. <laughs> um, so you have a very special story. Um, do you want to go ahead and like share a little bit about it and? Um, sure. Okay. Um, actually, let's see, well, it's 2007 now. So about a little over 10 years ago, mm-hmm. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. It was something that scared me at first. Right. Um, and, and actually it scared me for a long time. I can't even say at first, just for the simple fact that I didn't know what bipolar actually meant. Mm-hmm. Um, and because as far as mental health, that's not something that we talk about in our community. Right. And especially as a black man, um, only thing we associate with mental health and mental illness is the word crazy. And no mm-hmm. one wants to be considered crazy. Exactly. So uh, this was my second year in college. And um, actually, I transitioned from a small high school where we were predominantly black and to a where we had probably my graduating class i had 317 students and our entire school only had a thousand students and then i went to college and at our college campus we had 30,000 students and it was predominantly white so uh, it was a a real big culture shift for me 
Mm-hmm. And it, um, and then also coming out of high school, I was near the top of my class, and I was a three sport athlete. So I mean, basically, I was the man coming out of high school, and then going in, going into college, it was um, a complete shift, a complete shift in identity, a complete shift in just the way I was used to doing things because of the fact that I had to learn how to study, which honestly I still don't think I've mastered that crap yet but (laughs) (laughs) but um I was able to get out of school but so um yeah I was doing bad in classes um I actually walked onto the um, football team and the track team and so now you know I'm I'm going from being the man on the team to being the, the the lowest of the low on the team because walk-ons don't get treated the same as um, scholarship athletes. And so like, I mean, it was a, it was a big shock for me Mm -hmm. and coming out of my freshman year in college, I was on academic probation, was about to get kicked out of school. Um, and to, and, and this was a real big shocker for me because of the fact I went to school on academic scholarship. So, you know, I'm just having those different stressors playing into, well, are you going to keep your grade? Well, what are you going to do about your grades so you can keep your scholarship to continue to go to school? Because if you lose your scholarship, how are you going to pay for school and all of these types of things? Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those, you know, long story short, going into my sophomore year, I started to withdraw from my friends and then started to uh, really be a loner. And I went through a period where I just stayed in my room. I didn't go to class. I didn't talk to anybody. And I didn't do didn't do any of those things that I considered fun before. Mm-hmm. So um, while I was in my room, I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I went through a period where I didn't sleep for maybe about a little over two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lost about 25 pounds over a matter of about six weeks. Um, I wasn't bathing. I wasn't. I didn't care anymore. Mm-hmm. And during this time period, I started to hear voices. But when I was hearing the voices, it was it was something that scared me. But then I didn't want to talk about it with anyone because mm-hmm. of the fact the only thing I was thinking about, oh, Sean, you're going crazy. You're going crazy. Right. You can't tell nobody. Right, right. <laughs> so, um, like, but how how do you even have that discussion with somebody and be like, uh, like, yo, uh, I'm hearing stuff that I, I know that, you know, it's not coming from anybody in particular, but it's in my head. So how do you have that discussion with somebody and without them looking at you, you know, like you're crazy. Right. So I, I kept it to myself. Um, my saving grace was, uh, actually I'm the only child. Okay. And I talked to my mom every day, like, because mm-hmm. I'm her baby. She, she <laughs> always got it. She always has to keep track of me. Like, you know, what's going on with you? So when I talked to her, she um, she kept saying, like, what's, baby, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. I was like, nothing. I'm, I'm good. She was like, no, I can hear it in your voice. Something is wrong. Like, what's, what's going on? So, of course, I didn't talk about it. You know, I was just like, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. So I guess I don't know if it's the mother's intuition or just her being overprotective or what. She mm-hmm. decided to send my cousin to check in on me. And my cousin, she is actually five months older than I am. So we grew up like siblings. Okay. And she went to the college. The neighboring college was about 10 minutes away. So she sent my cousin to come in and check in on me. And when my cousin came, all she could do was cry just because of the fact Mm -hmm. that she didn't recognize me from the fact that I had lost so much weight. Um, My hair was all over the place. I hadn't been bathing. So I'm pretty sure I I didn't smell too nice to her. (laughs) And then, (laughs) um, I mean, she, she, she can tell that, you know, I had the despair on my face. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so she called my mom. My mom was like, well, get him out of that room. So she took me to her her, um, her apartment. And when she took me to her apartment, of course, she kept asking me, Sean, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm saying nothing. I'm good. I'm good. Um, but then my family ended up showing up to her apartment a couple of hours later. And they, they were running down the same questions to me. Right. And they were like, so, well, it, and I kept telling them nothing was wrong. So it was like, well, if you're not going to talk to us, we're going to take you somewhere where, we, where you're going to have to talk. Okay. So <laughs> they ended up taking me to the hospital. And, of course, I went. Uh, I wasn't going without a fight, so I <laughs> fought them the entire way there. I yeah. fought once I got to the hospital and all of that stuff, and that's what led them to put me in a straight jacket. That's what led them to actually sedate me and all of those mm-hmm. things because I was I was hyped. Wow. Um, and it, and it wasn't even the hype from the voices that I were hearing. It was the hype of me being scared to go to a, a psychiatric hospital. Right. I didn't. I didn't want. I didn't want to go there. For one, like when you you know you look at TV and you look at movies and things, it's it's and most of the time they're, they're they're associated with horror stories. Yes. So and you, who wants to be a part of a horror story? Who wants to be labeled as that crazy person that has to go to the hospital and then you really don't know what's really going on in the psychiatric hospital? Then you know you see shock treatment and all these things mm-hmm. that they do to the patients and like, who wants who wants to go through that? Like so. On top of the voices that were going on in my head, now mm-hmm. my imagination is running wild. Like, wow. what are they going to do to me? You know, like, I, I got to get out of here. Yeah. So um, in the hospital, uh, of course, I wouldn't tell the doctors exactly what was going on with me because I didn't want to stay there. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, if I, if I could portray that I'm okay, they'll let me out. Mm. Um, but, yeah, that definitely didn't happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. And, and then the longer I'm sitting in there, I was like, you know what, Sean? Like, okay, you can keep trying to lie to these people, but mm-hmm. it's evident that they're professionals and they won't let you just get out of here by saying you're all right. Exactly. So I've decided to open up about what was really going on because I, I realized that that was the only way that I was going to get out of there. Okay. If okay. I was just to really open up. Okay. So, um, open up, explained everything that was going on with myself, and I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Of course, like I said, that scared me because I didn't know what bipolar disorder actually meant. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times when we see uh, bipolar disorder in, in any types of terms in you know the in our society, it's mainly. A lot of time, a lot of people confuse it with like maybe even personality disorder. Like, oh, yeah. you're one person one second and you're another person another uh-huh. second. Or um, your mood can change at the drop of a dime or anything like that. So a lot of times, you know, we, we get that um, mixed up right. for what it actually is. So I didn't know what I was. I didn't know what I was going through, to be honest. And then they added this label to me. I was like, uh, you know, well, <laughs> I was like, OK, give me this label. Tell me what I need to do so i can get out of here and then once i get out of here i can figure stuff out okay uh so once they t- the doctor told me you know well you got by the polar disorder you need to actually go to therapy you need to be on these meds mm-hmm. you need to help you stabilize you need to help first of all help you get some sleep because i wasn't right. sleeping on my own and you know a lot of these different things they help them with the psychotic features when it came down to the voices and stuff that i was hearing mm-hmm. and um I was like, okay, all right, cool. You know, you're going through the motions, like, all right, I hear you, I hear you. All right, I'm ready to go now. Right. <laughs> so once I get out of the hospital, I withdrew I, uh, withdrew from school because of the mm-hmm. fact school was not a place that I needed to be at the time. Okay. Um, it was just way too much pressure, way too much stress. And then 
honestly, the entire time I was in the hospital, none of my friends or anybody knew what was really going on. All the people that knew what was going on was my family. Okay. So I didn't want to go back to school and then have to tell them where I've been. Right. Because I I still had to wrap my mind around, okay, what the doctor then told me about be, having bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then I knew I didn't want to go home mm. because, you know, you're the man coming from a small town and then people know, oh, well, you're supposed to be in school. So right. why are you, why are you home? Right. So that was another thing. I didn't want to go home and I didn't want to go to school. So that's what prompted me to enter. I moved to Charlotte. Okay. And with my uncle. And then so no one knew me in Charlotte. So that was a blessing. And I was able to just lay low, do what I needed to do, and mm-hmm. then actually focus on myself and get better. Right. So I started therapy, started meds, doing everything that I needed to do. I got better. But once I got better, of course, like um, most people mm-hmm. that may be dealing with, even with substance abuse or, uh, you know, anything when it comes down to mental health issues, you you know, you're like, oh, I'm cured. So exactly. I stopped taking my meds. I stopped going to therapy. And I was like, and then another, another deciding factor for that was I wanted to go back to school. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, no one knew where I'd been or why I left school. So if I go back to school, I can't go back with this pill bottle and then me going to therapy on a regular basis because somebody may run up into you while you're going to therapy or somebody, and especially in dorm rooms, people will run up on your pill bottles and, you know, right. Googling and be like, yeah. yo, Sean, why are you taking mm-hmm. this? Yeah. So uh, I was like, yo, all right, I'm cut it. You know, I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm back back to my normal self. I can go back. I can fake the funk. I can, I can be Sean. I can be the Sean that that left school, the time before I actually got to the point where I had to leave school. Right, right. So um, went back to school, voices started back, and instead of me actually starting back on my meds and getting back on treatment and the things that helped me get to the point where I was stable, I started drinking alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, I was drinking a fifth of tequila every other day. Okay. Um, and I did that for three and a half years. Hmm. During this time period, you know, with the bipolar disorder, you had the high highs and the low lows. Right. During my low, during my low lows, they were terrible. Mm. I went through a period where um, I attempted suicide twice. I OD'd on pills. Mm-hmm. I had to have my stomach pump and went through all of those different motions. Right. And even then, I just, I, I still never decided. Oh well, Sean, you you need to go back the route that may help you get better. Mm. Um, so continue to drink. Uh, of course my friends never really checked me on it because of the fact it's college, man. Exactly. You know, that, that's, yeah, it's, it's something that's, 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 it's nor it's a part of the norm. Right. And, I'm, and even honestly, outside of college, it's a part of the norm to have a drink when you get stressed out, yeah. if, you know, as an adult mm-hmm. or even it's, I mean, it's, it's a legal, it's a legal substance. And even, mm-hmm. even when it boils down to cigarettes or things like that, I mean, you see it all of the time, so it's it's not it doesn't raise any question to you as far as well something may be going on for someone that may be you know drinking this right. much or maybe smoking too much and all of these things. So yeah, my friends never checked me on it. And the last straw was one night I was going through an extreme low and the voices got so loud that I I wanted. Well, one thing is when when you hear these voices and they're in your head, you have no control over them. Right. And a lot of times you're trying to decipher what's real and what's not. And it, and it gets tough 
trying to figure out, well, are these, am I going crazy or mm-hmm. is just the world around me going crazy right. or like, like really, what is it? And so, um, one night, man, the voices got so loud and I wanted to take, I wanted it so bad to take control that I pulled the gun out and put it to my head and pulled the trigger. Mm. I wanted so bad to end my life. I, it wasn't even a point of ending my life, honestly. It was the point mm. of, and in the pain, because that's, 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 that's a lot to deal with when you're trying. And especially at this time, I had been hiding my diagnosis for, who it was about six years, six, seven years. Hmm. So it's like living a double life and, you know, no one really knows what's going on with you. And you don't know who to really talk to about it because of the fact that you don't want to be judged. Exactly. So... And so you keep a lot of things bottled in, keep a lot of things bottled in. And when you keep those things bottled in, like you're trying, you're always trying to wear a smile on your face. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. then when you get alone, it's just like all of it comes out. And so then when all of it comes out, you still, when you still get in front of people, you still try to put that mask on and it's, and it's still not helping at all. You know? So when I pulled the trigger, the gun didn't go off. And all I could do was sit there and cry mm. because I tried to take control of my life by attempting suicide three times and right. I failed each time. Wow. So from there, I was like, well, Sean, I mean, you done tried it this way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I mean, well, and, and you done tried something another way that you, you've seen results. So why not go back to that? Right. So ended up starting back therapy and uh, getting back on medication, mm-hmm. and things started to look up. Things started to get better. Right. And from there, that and, and I started. I really started to accept who I was. Okay. And that was the major key. It's, it's outside of the label of having bipolar disorder mm-hmm. or used to being a man or used to being an athlete or used to being a scholar and all of that, I had to realize that I'm all of that. Exactly. And not not just one thing defines who I am. And it's up to me to really learn how to control the things that I can control and then get the help with things that I needed to get help with. Right. So that's what that was my breaking point and that what that's what really led me into the things that I do now that's what led me into eustress that's what mm-hmm. led me into um really speaking on the different topics that I do because I know what it's like to be alone i I was mm-hmm. alone I was alone for seven years mm-hmm. but I had all the friends in the world I had all the friends right. and family in the world but I was alone exactly. Um, so, and then once I started to get better, I started to look at my friends and stuff differently, not in a bad way, mm-hmm. but I would look at my friends that would, that were drinking a lot or that were smoking mm-hmm. weed a lot. And I'm like, I'm like, bruh, I, 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 I can't tell you, I can't pinpoint exactly why you're doing this, but yes. I know there's a, there's an underlying reason for you doing it. And so I want to help. Yes. Mm-hmm. And but it would but for me to get them to get help, it wasn't a fact of me just going to be like, yo, look, man, I, I noticed that you're drinking a lot. I know you're smoking a lot. 
um, you need to go see a therapist. Right. Be- because <laughs> we're, we're, we're not receptive to stuff like that. No, we are not. <laughs> like, nah, like, we get on the defense real quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, like, the easiest way for me to do that was, to, well, the easiest way for me to get my friends to get help was for me to share my own story with them. Okay. Because if I share it with them, be like, look, yo, this is what I've been through. Like this is what I current. This is what I'm currently going through. Mm-hmm. So I'm not. I'm not coming at you judging you. I'm coming at you because I'm concerned because I've been there. Exactly. And so, and then, so once I started to do that and share my story and um, you know, actually talk to people, it really actually started off with a blog because I was. I was still. I ain't gonna say that I was. You know, once I got better, I was all gung-ho, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to share my story. Nah, (laughs) you know, it it wasn't like I I had this great bill of confidence to do what I'm doing now. Um, It took took various steps. So it actually started off with a blog that I put out there, and the blog didn't have my name attached to it at all. Mm, I would, yeah, but I would share it with people, and then, Mm. you know, and people would, and you know how when you write a blog and people can submit questions and stuff to, right. you know, the email. So they didn't know the emails were coming to me. Okay. You know, and, <laughs> you know, and so like, and like my friends and stuff will be like, you know, commenting on certain things. And, and then I had one friend that read it and without I shared it with, and it was like, yo, whoever this is, yo, I need to talk to them. Exactly. And I was, and I was like, yo, it's me. And it was mm. like, nah, 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 <laughs> no, it ain't. I was like, yes, it is. First of all, <laughs> People don't know that I write. Oh, so, okay. And, yeah, so like they was like, nah, that ain't you, man. That ain't. I mean, because I, I just, you know how people have perceptions of yeah. you and all of that. Yeah. You know, athlete mm-hmm. uh, in a fraternity and all. You know, mm-hmm. so they have these preconceived notions of you, so they don't think you have certain skills and talents. Exactly. But but um, they was like, nah, that can't be you. That ain't. I was like, nah, I'm gonna, I was like, I'm gonna go more deeper into it so you can really know that it's me. And and it just went from there, and it just you know one one thing led to another, and, and that's why where I am today, and honestly, that's what led to the point where I'm talking to you today. <laughs> awesome, such a great story, and I want to touch on, you know, and and you kind of um, talked about it a little bit, you know, just seeing a therapist for us is mm-hmm. not the norm not common it's shunned we get on the defense but what was the breaking point for you to connect with the therapist because sometimes you know I I work with children um that's my Mm -hmm. primary um clientele and you know kids they don't care you know it's just this is an additional support system that they have but I know with adults I've worked with it's been a struggle um for some that I may not look like, but the mm-hmm. ones I look like, you know, they're like, you know, I'm glad I have a black clinician to work with. You know, I've been looking for one. I'm just like, I get it. I'm relatable because I look like right. you. So was that your experience? Because I believe you, um, Dr. Jasper, it, as you mentioned on The Breakfast Club, um, he was your psychologist. Now, was he your psychologist when you first got admitted or did you kind of like have to go through several before getting to him? Well, so Dr. Jasper, he was my psychologist when I got to Charlotte. Okay. So okay. when I was in, when I was at the hospital near my school, it wasn't, it wasn't a black person. Okay. It actually, actually I saw, 
a white male while I was in the hospital. Okay. And then once I got out of the hospital, they referred me to an Asian, a, a Asian lady. Okay. And and I was looking at them. Like, I'm not <laughs> talking to y'all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to feed y'all a bunch of bull and mm-hmm. so I can get out of here. I'm yeah. here because I have to be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. honestly, that's it. Like, uh, no, I'm not talking about nothing. Uh, my mom always told me, you know, you keep you don't you don't keep family you don't put family business right, out there right. in the streets. You right. Keep everything in the house. Right, especially to people that don't look like you and <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I, I can't tr- I don't trust you. Yeah. yeah, and I mean that that boils down to that that's on a lot of different levels. So I'm like, yeah, um, uh-uh, nah, we're not. I'm not talking to you. Mm. And so um, with Doctor Jasper, man, it, it honestly he really broke down barriers and walls for me because of the fact that he looked like me. And then not not only that, he, um, he talked like me. It wasn't, Mm -hmm. he wasn't, you know, I wouldn't call him stuck up, but I mean, he didn't use a lot of professional jargon. He didn't talk over my head. He met me on my level. And and then on top of that, I mean, he had on a a t-shirt and and J's when I met him. So I'm like, (laughs) Oh, Dude, cool. I was like, okay. I bet. I was like, yo, let's chop it up. Right, I, I can, I can talk to you. You know, right, right. Uh, so it's, 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 it's a completely different vibe that you get when, you, when you, when you're talking to someone that looks like you. And not saying that someone that doesn't look like you can't help you, but it right. definitely helps break down that, that initial barrier to get to open up. Because honestly, if you're not talking about everything that's going on with you. It's hard for a clinician to give you the help that they need to give you. Exactly. I mean, it's like if you go to the doctor's office and your stomach is hurting, but you're telling the doctor that your arm hurting, they're going to prescribe you the wrong thing. Right. So (laughs) so you got to be truthful with these people, but you have to have that level of trust. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And, And just to piggyback off of that, you know, there are some people that don't look like us that do get it. They get the culture, mm-hmm. their understanding. But I do know that it, it helps to have somebody sit in front of you who looks like you, who may understand right. the struggle and the stereotypes and stigmas within our community. I mean, because honestly, sometimes we don't even know how to put certain emotions and feelings into words. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if I'm sitting if I'm sitting across someone and that's black yeah. and I'd be like, man, you know what? I and and, and, and the, for that person to say, I get it. And you'd be yeah. like, I bet. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Like, I don't even have to say much. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, like, it's, it's boy, like, it's, it's completely different. Exactly. <laughs> and you're not questioning if they get it or not. Y'all, mm. you like, yo, because some stuff, I mean, you look like me. I mm. know you didn't experience some of the same things yes. I experienced. <laughs> so, yeah. so it is what it is. And, like, we can move past that. But instead of me trying to figure out how to communicate that to, the, to you, and you figure out how to relate to me, we already have that understanding and we can move forward and go into something else. Yes. That is so awesome. So awesome. So what does it currently look like for you? Are you continuing to see um, a therapist or? I am. I am. So I I continue to see a therapist. I continue my, like I said, I I had to learn myself. Yeah. And honestly, that and with growth, I think everybody needs to take a time period where they have to learn themselves and learn what's good for them and what's bad for them. Right. Uh, some people that that are in your life are not good for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, and that yeah. could be friends, family, that could be yeah. anybody. Like, honestly, I, and you have to learn how to 
take them in doses. Yes. <laughs> and and you know continue to move forward, and then even some and people are not going to like it. But I mean, it's it's about you because you have to take care of yourself, and no one's going to take care of you like the way you take care of yourself. And then a lot of times people will use you too, so you have to know how to manage those things as well. Mm-hmm. But I had to I had to learn my my thing the factors that you know will push me over the edge and the mm-hmm. things that will bring me back you know from the reel me back in. Mm-hmm. So and a lot of that has to do with my regimen, mm-hmm. uh, working out mm-hmm. what I eat. Mm-hmm. Um, who I associate with, honestly, yeah. because sometimes people can have you in different positions, whereas you don't need to be in, yeah. or people just don't understand the things you actually need at what particular times. Yeah. Because I mean, I was talking to <laughs> he would get mad when I say this, but uh, <laughs> I was talking to one of my friends one day, and I was just down. Okay. You know, I, I I was just down. I was like, bro, you know, really. I really don't even feel like it. I, I, I don't even, I, I'm, I'm not into it right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Come on, bro. Get a, let's go get a drink. No, that ain't what I need. I don't right. need no drink. <laughs> 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 that is not what I need exactly. at all. So it's not even, and so in addition to, it's, uh, in addition to learning yourself, it's learning the people that you deal with and knowing how that they handle certain situations, understand that, those the way they handle certain things may not be the best for you. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. and so I know when I'm feeling a certain type of way, I know who not to call. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think right. we all go through that. Like yeah, I'm not calling right. that friend because they gonna exactly. be on the petty bandwagon with me, and what? I don't need exactly. that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, but yeah, that's that's how it really looks for me, man. Is yeah. um, working out, journaling. Um, coloring, uh, like I said, diet. And then honestly, really what I do is, and when I help people, when I, Mm -hmm. when I provide therapy to people that that's therapeutic for me because, you know, I mean, you're a clinician, so, you know, they'd be like, Oh, some stuff you can't share with, you can't share with your clients, you you know, and, but I, I mean, honestly with me, they can Google me and and see a lot of my stuff. (laughs) Right. They can see a lot of my stuff anyway. So me trying to hide certain things is not going to be very beneficial for me. Right. And a lot of times, a lot of times clients come to me because of the experiences I already had and, you know, they're willing to be open about it. So, I mean, that's, that's a complete difference. Um, when it comes, you know, when, like I said, when you're sitting across somebody that done been through some of the same things you've been through, you don't have to, you don't have to be vocal about it or try to figure out the words for it. Y'all right. can just address it and then move forward to something else. Yes, that is awesome. Just a side note: what therapeutic um, undertones do you usually do in sessions with clients? Like, or what is um, your go-to? Like your favorite. My main, I like to put it back on there. I like to focus on what their goals, what they really want to do. Okay, so almost that solution focused. Right, okay. it's very solution okay. focused because of the fact, and then a lot of reality stuff. Okay, yes, because, yes. Because because <laughs> I mean, if we're working towards something that you don't really want to work towards, it's yeah. gonna be a struggle for both of us. Right. <laughs> uh, there, it's it's no point. We're we're wasting each other's time. Exactly. And then a lot of times we. And a lot of times people don't want to recognize the things that are a part of their reality, whether it be, um, you know, a significant other that may be contributing a lot of stress in their life and they may need to address those certain things or whether it, you know, a job or finances and 
And honestly, check, like I said, checking yourself. Um, mm-hmm. how are you contributing to you feeling so bad? Like, right. what, are, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, what small things can you change yeah. to, in, in, instead of blaming it on everything and everybody else? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And now, Uh, um, as I said earlier, you are the founder and executive director of Eustress Inc. Now, the Mm -hmm. definition of Eustress is moderate or normal psychological stress interpreted as being beneficial for the experiencer. So how did you decide to go with that name and develop it into this great movement that it is today? Um, Really, because of... When I change my when I change my perspective on how I view my diagnosis, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. everything either you can you can look at things as, as being a learning experience, or you can look at it be as a woe as me. Right. And I mean, just used to align with the way I I live my life now is everything happens for a reason, and it's it's our it's our um, duty to learn what lesson do we need to learn from particular things. Right. And. I mean, we can always view it as bad, but then, you know, you got to take the bad with the good. And so figuring out how to grow from each and every conversation, each and every experience, all of that. And so once I changed and then so once I changed my outlook on how I viewed my diagnosis, things started to change for me for the better as far as my mental health. Yeah. So that's why, you know, I chose the word eustress because, I mean, it's the. Everybody experiences stress in some in some type of way. I don't yes. care who you are. I don't mm-hmm. care how old you are. Stress is stress. Yes. But it, it's up to you to make it a positive thing instead of a negative thing. Yes. And, you know, we all need a little stress to, you Definitely. know, to get stuff done. So not all stress is bad. Right. Right. I mean, I look at it like this. Even when I'm in the gym working out, mm-hmm. I'm adding stress to my muscles to get them right. to grow. Yeah. I can't I can't grow without, you know, adding that pressure to it. Exactly. That's so true. And now the goal of Eustress is to bring awareness within our black communities about mental health, right? Correct. Correct. But then now I'm working on actually to uh, translating just the awareness piece to actually action and having people learn skills and things, those things to address any type of mental health issues, whether it be with yourself, whether it be with your family members or just friends and all that. Because a lot of times it takes a support system and it takes other people to call you out on certain things that you may not necessarily see. Mm -hmm. Just like my mom had to do to me. Right. You know, uh, and you have to, you got, sometimes you need that little push. Yeah. So it's, it's about, you know, making people aware, but then also generating some action when it comes down to taking care of yourself and taking care of your people. And then also linking them to the different resources that they have available, because a lot of times with awareness, it's, it's not just about, you know, teaching about different diagnoses and um, the skills, but it's also teaching them the resources that are already available to them. Exactly. Exactly. And now even going with the action you're doing, um, well, you have a let's talk about it section part of the Eustress. Can you talk more about what that is and what do you actually do with that in the community? Uh, well, so let's talk about it was my slogan that I, uh, I started to use a few years ago. Okay. And uh, it was it was really just based off of. <laughs> 
just how simple it is. I, yeah. Let's just let's talk about it. Like, I mean, <laughs> like, 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 seriously. Like, I mean, a lot of things. And honestly, that's how my movement started. A lot of things. Mm. Is, it was me talking about myself right. and me not and me being open and candid about the different things that I have going on. And then you realize that people can relate in a lot of different ways. And a lot of times, when you're sharing different things about you, somebody out there is going to say, "Oh, me too." Exactly. So that's where, you know, I, I use that slogan. So when I, I started my Let's Talk About a Mental Health Awareness Walks. Mm-hmm. So I host, th- I host three of them a year okay. right now. Okay. I'm actually looking to expand to a couple of other cities now as well. Um, but right we're gonna now, we're going to get you out here in Milwaukee, okay? <laughs> guys, <laughs> I'm cool. for real. We're going to get happen. you out here. <laughs> and so I do them now in Charlotte mm-hmm. in Chapel Hill, which I went to, uh, where I went to college. And I do them in my hometown of Bertie County in North Carolina. Okay. And so now with the walks, we not only do we, you know, exercise is very key into my uh, maintaining my mental health. So that's mm-hmm. why I have to walk and everything. But Along the walls, we have different fact signs. We're teaching people about the different illnesses. And then also just the, the, just the numbers. It's the mm. numbers, the numbers behind the mental health and mental illness. Right. But then we also have different vendors and stuff. There are resources that are there that people may not necessarily understand were there for them at the beginning or that that's right there in their own community. Exactly. So whether it's, um, like uh, clinicians, mm-hmm. uh, behavior uh, hospitals yeah. that have behavioral health um, sectors in their in their hospital, um, even nutritionists, um, yoga instructors, right. exercise instructors, all of these people, like all of these things, play into you being mentally healthy. Yeah. So that's why I have those vendors vendors there so that they can be there to pass out information so people can really learn what else is in their community besides oh just going to the doctor. Right. No, I love that. I love that you said that because for me, the Evolving Chair podcast developed um, to bridge that gap within our black community of the understanding of mental health and counseling and coming away from those stereos and stigmas, as well Mm -hmm. as for people understanding that in order for us to be our best selves, we have to be healthy physically, mentally and spiritually. So we need all three aligning and we can't just focus on being good in one and then letting the other two fall behind. Exactly. Exactly. Because, I mean, you got to have some type of balance. Exactly. Exactly. I love that you shared that. And so you um you offer weekly phone groups to men, right? Yes, I do. And so that is called actually called Locker Room Talk. Locker Room Talk. Okay. Yeah, it was a it was a play off of uh Donald Trump's uh you know, his <laughs> oh. entire fiasco <laughs> okay. with you know, when he was talking about the lady and yeah, you know, yeah. grabbing her and all that and he was like, Oh, this yeah. just locker room talk. Oh but okay. You know, and I know as an athlete, growing growing up as an athlete, in the locker room, we talk about a lot of different things. It's just mm-hmm. like the barbershop. Yeah. But we don't talk about some of the things that we need to talk about when it comes down to addressing. Not that I wouldn't even just, you know, categorize it as our mental health. Right. But you don't address your emotions and feelings. Exactly. And, oh, you know, oh, man, I've been, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with this girl and she broke up with me. Mm-hmm. You know, or I have constructive conversations around it, not just, oh, man, forget her, man. You you know, you, there's plenty of other people out here and this, then the third, and, you know, right. y'all, you know, or bashing the girl. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, why? Like, exactly. Let's process, process these emotions. Just because you're a man doesn't mean that you can't 
have certain feelings and emo- and and process these things. It hurts. If it hurt, it hurt. Right. Okay. So let's talk about why it hurt. <laughs> right. And let's and let's try to figure out how to move forward without you just completely dismissing it. Exactly. Or me dismissing you for the fact that you feel this type of way or or put you down because oh you're a punk or this that, and the mm-hmm, third because you mm-hmm. feel this way. Nah, uh uh-uh. uh. I we all felt that way before. Right. So let's let's try to work on this. And then also not even just relationships, but just being a black man in America, yeah. especially with the killings and mm-hmm. all of these like it's scary. It <laughs> is. It is. I mean we already, even as, because I'm a, I'm a college-educated, you know, black male, but when I go into certain spaces, I have to really make sure that I'm on point. And yes. I have to, mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't matter what school I went to. It doesn't matter what degree I have. It doesn't matter any of those things. First thing they see is that I'm a black man. Exactly. exactly. So I have to put on this, I have to, I ain't going to say front, but I have to make them comfortable. Mm-hmm. To accept me, and then I can get into which I never, honestly, I never be to a point where I'm as comfortable where I can really let myself hang out. Right. But you know, you have to, you have to make them comfortable, and that, a lot of times that makes you know you uncomfortable. Exactly. Because that's not what you're used to. But I mean, honestly, we as black people, we do this all the time. Mm-hmm. Like we 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 wear these different hats and we wear these mm-hmm. different masks. And and the reason for the locker room talk was because honestly. Like when we wear these different masks and hats, we still, even when we're with our boys, Mm -hmm. we still never really can truly be ourselves. Exactly. Because we don't talk about, like I said, the the things when it comes down to emotions and feelings, we never really talk about those things. So that was the reason why I created Locker Room Talk. And then, and it made it a conference call because you don't have to look at anyone. If you want to talk about something, you don't, you, you don't feel comfortable with someone knowing who you are. That's mm-hmm, cool. Mm-hmm. That's fine. I know you can still talk. So, right. and we got, and we have people calling in from all over the nation, honestly. Mm-hmm. And, and the consensus that I get from the group is that people were there saying, man, thank you for this. He was like, it's good to know that there are other men around the country that feel the exact same way I do. And now we have this space to actually talk about these things. Exactly. And I appreciate that too. I know on a um, previous session, um, I had another guest as well. And we kind of, we talked about that just like how our culture um, it's our fault for making our men feel like they can't have emotions. Like we Mm -hmm. start that, initially as i'm guilty of that i have a son and i'm like no you know girls do this boys do this you can't do this you know you can't cry you can't you know right and so i I definitely appreciate you providing that supportive safe non-judgmental space for men to call in and and be real right right you know and that's that's what we all need i mean and honestly it's not just for men. It's it's not just for women. It's, I mean, everybody needs that space where they feel like they can let it all out. Exactly. And honestly, that's what therapy is supposed to be for. But we <laughs> don't go to therapy, so you got to take therapy to people. <laughs> you better say it. So y'all, y'all hear me, TC listeners. Y'all need to go to therapy, or you know somebody that need to go to therapy. Therapy ain't right. all that bad. <laughs> it, it's really. I mean. Even if you don't, you don't have to have a diagnosis to go to therapy. Exactly, exactly. And one thing, um, through my graduate program, you know, our advisor was like, you know, this is the field you're going in. I would suggest that you meet a therapist and have a session. 
So right. I actually, I went to have a session with a therapist because right. I'm like, you know, if I'm going to be on the opposite end seeing clients, let me get firsthand of, mm-hmm. you know, some of the barriers that may come across, you know, some of the good things, you know, and it was right. a great right. experience for me to go through that. And that's great. I mean, because it's one thing to be a there. And I've seen some clinicians that they've never been to therapy or they or they. Well, this is so this is an interesting thing. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen therapists come to me saying that they saying they don't want to talk about certain things. But I was like, yo, go see a therapist. You're a therapist. So you already know. So won't you just go to a therapist? No, they, of course they can't go see a therapist. Right. <laughs> right. I was like, no, nah, I'm a therapist, you know. I, okay, and you, right. you're still a person, right. so and we and we as therapists, we take on a lot. We do, we do. So I mean, yes, you need to go talk to somebody, and not your friend, because right. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm just being real. You know, right. I have some great sister friends. You know, but sometimes you need that neutral party, and then somebody mm-hmm. who have those skill sets. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And you know right. they doing therapy on you, but you like it's right. working. So you right. know <laughs> exactly. You, and you you still look at them and be like, I appreciate it. Thank exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's some therapists out there that primarily focus on working with other therapists too. Right. So right because it's needed. It's exactly. definitely needed. Exactly. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> We're going to get you here in Milwaukee to do the walk. Um, I got some events coming up that I want to connect with you about. So we definitely going to have you here in Milwaukee. We got to make live. it happen. I've, I've so. never been to Milwaukee. So right, really? Okay. Yeah, we, I, I, I'm going to get you here. I'm going to get you here. Man, man, let's make it happen. We are. We are. <laughs> um, And now you have a book coming out this summer titled yeah, Injured Reserve. Yeah. Talk about that. What 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 is it about? Um, what can the readers look forward to? Um, well, so I've been writing this book for probably about <laughs> probably about three, four years. Okay. Um, but I've changed it. I'm a perfectionist too, so like Uh-oh. I didn't change I don't <laughs> I wrote I don't, I actually probably wrote this book like ten times. Okay. Um, but it it really goes into a lot more detail as far as what I was going through when I initially started to experience my symptoms of okay. uh, being in the, being in the actual um, dorm room, mm-hmm. actually what I was feeling and the things I was going through when I was hospitalized and all of those types of things. So it's, it's kind of like an autobiography, but it's a, it's a spin to it. Whereas okay. I challenge the reader to address things that they have going on within themselves as well. Okay. So it's, it's, it's not just, oh, you're reading my story. No, I want you to take my story and learn from my mistakes and the things that I didn't do at certain particular times. And I want you to assess what's actually going on in your life right now. Right. Or assess something that, that you, some signs that you may have not picked up on that you see in someone that you're, no, someone that you are, close with whether it be a family member or a friend right now and then you can help them address whatever they may be going through and help guide them to the things that they actually been through so basically it's like i said it's a it's an autobiography but it's it's kind of like a self-help and you know promotion of being mentally well as well you know so all of those things wrapped up into one oh awesome awesome now do you have um a release date or 
Not yet, but I'm thinking about, um, honestly, it's going to be sometime in August. Okay. Yeah, sometime in August. But uh, we're trying to work. Like I said, the book is actually done. Mm -hmm. Just working on some of the final things and final steps when it comes down to the cover artwork and all of those things and then putting that together and pushing it out. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to getting a copy of that. Oh, definitely, definitely. Definitely. And now, what advice would you give somebody who is on the fence of counseling and being real with themselves? Um, to be blunt? Mm-hmm. Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> the, the stuff that you're trying now, is it working? Mm, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, like, what's, what's, what's the harm in trying? Right. I mean, like, you don't even have to tell nobody that you're going to therapy. So, I, it like, it's like no one, it's not like anyone would judge you exactly. for going because you don't have, you don't have to tell anybody. Like, you can go to another city or if you have that, you know, if you have that uh, resource to do that. Or you can meet with a therapist that, you know, a lot of, a lot of therapists do te- teletherapy and stuff now. Cause I exactly. do. Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, you don't even have to leave out the comfort of your own home. Right. So, so, I mean, so why not? Why not? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, it, like the stuff that you're trying now, if it's not working or if it's not healthy, because I'm not just going to say if it's not working. Cause some people think that drinking and smoking and stuff is working. Right. Self-medicating. So, right. It, yeah, it, it yeah, does yeah. work for the it, time being for those folks. Right, but I think when you're sober, right? Hello, <laughs> th- those problems still are still be sitting there. So exactly, if if it's if like that's what I mean by if it's not working, mm-hmm. why not try something else? Because that's the only way to do. I mean, doing the same thing over and over again—that's what the definition of insan- insanity, right? Right. Yeah. Doing something over and over again, expecting a different result. <laughs> so <laughs> you you have to switch it up and then i mean if you don't like it cool mm-hmm. but then also don't give up on the first try because yes. every therapist yes. is not meant for everybody yes yes it, it, and it's a process yeah it's know? definitely a process definitely a process but i mean you have to be willing to be open to the process. Exactly. Exactly. Because it is that one therapist that you will connect with instantly. Exactly. Exactly. And when you connect with that person, you'll look at the world through a completely different lens. Exactly. It'll change so many different things for you. And be like, and then, and, and it's not something that, you know, that's restricted to social class, gender, um, you know, racial, ethnic background, none of those things. Every, like I said, everybody could go to a therapist. Mm-hmm. Whether you're famous, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, exactly. everybody could everybody could benefit from it. To, like you said, having a non biased opinion just to listen to you, listen to your thoughts and help you process those thoughts. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, my 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 advice would be, why not? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, like try something different. Exactly. Exactly, and it, and. 
what I explain to the kids I work with, you know, because it's funny because I'm in a school-based setting. So, you know, of course, mm-hmm. like, all the little kids want to come because, you know, they're just like, we want to come with you, Miss Lakeisha. And I'm like, right. oh. <laughs> I only have certain ones that I see. But, like, I tell them, too, you know, I'm just an additional support. And so for mm-hmm. adults out there, you don't have to look at counseling as somebody being all up in your business, going to give you this diagnosis. No, this is just an additional support system for you. Right. To right. give you different exactly. tools and techniques to use. Mm-hmm. Yep. And exactly it. Yes. And so, Mr. Rashawn, where can people find you at? If they want to know more about Eustress, want to know more about you for speaking engagements or, you know, connecting um, with you? People can find, I mean, one thing that, you know, it's, it's the equal playing field for anybody to connect with anybody on social media. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so social media, you can find me on social media, R-W-E-N-S-H-A-U-N. That's my first name. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm pretty, I'm 99% sure <laughs> if you search that, you won't find anybody else but me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Unless somebody just hijacked my name within the last, <laughs> you know, two weeks or so. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you will find me. Um, also, Rashawn.com. That's where you can find my, my personal stuff where it comes down to booking engagements, um, reaching out to me um, for either therapy or mental health um, mm-hmm. coaching or anything of that nature. Eustress, um, which is the non- my nonprofit. But uh, it's e u s t r e s s i n c dot org. That's the website. Um, Eustress Inc. is all of the social media: uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can find us there for that as well. Um, uh, email my email address is info at rashawn dot com. So if you want to shoot me an email, um, feel free to do do so with that as well so yeah that's that's pretty much you know any any way you can get in contact with me via like i said social media email uh honestly facebook facebook is a little bit difficult for me to keep up with because they be sorting through you know they sort through the the messages and stuff so Mm -hmm. like you have to go and check the filtered messages and i forget to check it honestly <laughs> so <laughs> I, don't I mean, don't send him a message on facebook <laughs> right right yeah man i'm, I'm telling you yeah. okay. if, if honestly it'd be easier for you to shoot me an email okay um, that'd be the best way but i mean definitely please you know follow and follow me on on, on social media outlets because you'll be up more up to date as far as the things that i have going on yes um as well so yeah those those are the outlets. Awesome. You're doing some great things. And again, I truly appreciate you taking the time out to be a guest on the Evolving Chair podcast and sharing your story. Uh, no problem. Thank you for having me. No problem. I'm glad you said yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, look, I couldn't turn it down. Come oh. on, man. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, no yes, problem. we definitely will be in touch, though, for sure. Um, So again, this is the Evolving Chair Podcast with your host, Lakeisha. Until next time, peace. Peace. All right. And I want to give a special shout out to Dooch for allowing me to record this session. So you guys go look him up at Dooch at Everyday Media. Hey, TEC listeners. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share, and rate this podcast. You can send me emails with questions, comments, and feedback to TECpodcast2017 at gmail.com. 
on Twitter at TEC Podcast 2017, IG at TEC Podcast, Facebook, The Evolving Chair Podcast, or check out my website at www.TheEvolvingChair.com. So go listen to me on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play.